to Tea Tonic and Toxin, a book club and podcast for anyone who wants to explore the best mysteries and thrillers ever written. I'm your host, Sarah Harrison. And I'm your host, Carolyn Daughters. Pour yourself a cup of tea, a gin and tonic, but not a toxin, and join us on a journey through 19th and 20th century mysteries and thrillers, every one of them a game changer. Sarah, let's talk about 2023. There's a lot to talk about. It was a big year for us. It was a big year and it was so fun. I really loved not all of the books, but most of the books we did. And I'm thrilled that I read every one of the books. Yeah. Didn't we? Just number blew into my head. Didn't we grow? We said we grew 223%. That is that right? Exactly for 2023. Right. Yes. On purpose. That's how much we grew on purpose to match the year. <laughs> Oh, I didn't think about 223, that. 223, silent zero. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I wish we had grown 2,023%. Next year. Yeah. No, next year is 2,024. Because if that were the case, we would be filming this from Monaco or something for the French Riviera <laughs> from a beach. But yes. 223 Listen, is pretty good. Listeners, see if you can make that happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so this is our retrospective episode on, on 2023, the books that we read and discussed and we have a listener award we have a wonderful listener this mm-hmm. episode we do uh it is shelly abris from colorado springs thank you for being a member of the Tetonic and toxin book club and a podcast we appreciate you and shelly spent some time in our studio in the last month as well thank you shelly it was wonderful to meet you yeah. in person. Yeah, and came to our holiday party as well. We did a Tetonic and Toxin sort of celebration of two years of podcasting. Yeah, um, it was really fun. Yeah, if you'd like your own on-air shout-out, one of our awesome Tetonic and Toxin stickers, all you have to do is weigh in on the books we're reading. You can do that on our website, tetonicandtoxin.com, or you can post to Facebook or Instagram at Tetonic and Toxin. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also give us reviews. We'll take reviews as long as they're five stars. I think that is that the qualifier. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Why would you even bother reviewing something for not five stars? I mean, just don't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're looking to grow the podcast. Um, if you are a friend or you love us or you're a nice person who wants to do us a solid Review us on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify, or wherever you listen to Tetonic and Toxin. Your reviews mean a ton to us, like seriously, and they help like-minded folks find us. Yeah, you can uh, you can also subscribe. Um, we are doing a lot more listener interactive polls and things on uh, the Spotify platform. They've enabled some more listener mm-hmm. engagement features Mm -hmm. so that's all very very exciting we we want to hear from you this is i would say first and foremost a book club yeah book clubs are about talking about books and listening about other people talk about books so we want to listen to you too reach out and let us know your thoughts yeah so 2023 was our second year of the book club, the Tetonic and Toxin book club, and our second year of podcasting. So it felt to me very different than 2022. But I want to get your perspective, like, tell me what 2023 was about for you. 
Yeah, I <laughs> I feel like we almost set resolutions each year. Like, mm. what are we gonna try? Mm-hmm. What's the next step? You know, the first year was kind of obvious. Like, let's try to do a podcast. <laughs> 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 what would that even be? Yeah. And then in 2023, um, we made a huge leap mm. in incorporating guests. Yeah. Which, like I said, it's a book club first. And so it's so fun to bring in these people with different perspectives, you know, different thoughts about the book. Mm-hmm. I love it when I'm pulled out of my own thoughts mm-hmm. and into someone else's that are totally different. I'm like, what? That's yeah. not what I thought at all. <laughs> yeah. Something different. We had, uh, we had Deb Donner, Wendy mm-hmm. Anderson, Jill Karstens, Mike Nugent. We had the super handsome Nate Harrison. Mm-hmm. Very handsome. Yes. Eli Milliman, mm-hmm. Emily Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Some really, now that we started naming people, I'm like, crap, we got to get all of them. <laughs> Don't leave anyone out. Yeah, and we, we well, we also did a couple interviews, um, which was awesome. That was so fun. Gary Braver. Karen Pierce. Yeah. We had them both on for their new books. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. I, I really like- liked that. So, you know, we're History of Mystery, which is a phrase, just to be um, clear, that, that Eli Milliman came up with. Eli did because he's amazing. Yeah, no, he said, "Oh, when I think of you all, I think of the history of mystery." And I was like, "Whoa, this guy is good. He is a rhyming genius." Mm-hmm. He, what is he's like the White Panther who cries? Yeah, White White what? Panther who cries. Yeah, um, and that is really all the context anyone will get. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> go back and listen to his episode, folks. Yeah, and so yeah, we're history of mystery, so we're going chronologically, which means. For 2023, we were um, 1911 through 1934. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. But when we bring in these other voices, we're getting sort of contemporary takes on Mm -hmm. these stories. And with Karen Pierce and Gary Braver, we're also getting contemporary authors. And I think that juxtaposition is super fun. I love being in the period where we are, but I think it's it's nice to sort of dip in to what's happening right now in the mystery and thriller genre. Yes. Well, and Karen was especially unique there. One, it was a cookbook. Two, it was inspired. It was like Agatha Christie, like every book of mm-hmm. Agatha Christie's, which, you know, while not a modern author, yeah. it's this modern take, it's this modern lens. Mm-hmm that she's looking at the author through mm-hmm. food and, you know, through 2022. Yeah, so cool. Three. What year is it? Yeah. <laughs> January is the month where I say the year wrong. I believe. Every day. <laughs> I believe it's 1934. <laughs> um, because 2024 is going to run from 1934 all the way to 1939. Yeah, not quite so much ground covered this year, but... Still a lot of amazing books. I think a lot of ground covered in what's happening with the form. And as far Mm -hmm. as years are concerned, we're really like, you know, sort of basking in it. We're doing a deep dive. We're we're just, we're going to spend some time over this five or six year period. Yeah. Yeah. We did a whole episode. So if you haven't listened to our prospective, Mm -hmm. what's coming up for 2024, listen to that. We'd love to get your take on... If you agree with our book selections, or yeah. if you have other ideas or vehement feedback, yeah, 
vehement objection to yeah. one or more of our choices. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, we're it's so curating these lists is, is a challenging process that we go through each year. And the 2023 list, you know, is is no exception. We started with a book called The Innocence of Father Brown, mm-hmm. and worked our way to Dorothy Sayers, The Nine Tailors. And on the surface, I thought that I would like The Innocence of Father Brown, the least of all of the books. Why did you think that? Why was that in your mind as the thought? Because, first of all, it's short stories. And I have trouble with short stories. I do. I um, Because I get involved in it and then it wraps up. And then you've (laughs) got to start again. And to me, it's a lot of effort to emotionally detach and then reattach. That's so really interesting. Yeah, I I have I have challenges with this with the short story form. Now, there are some incredible short stories out there in the world and I can I can recognize and appreciate that, but I I thought that and then also he's a Catholic priest and I thought I'm I'm just going to get beaten over the head with um, <laughs> you know, moralizing. Yeah, like moral guidance and what happened instead is that he won me over really fast. Um, this is GK Chesterton, won me over really fast. And I, I still think about some of the stories in the innocence of Father Brown. Oh, yeah, me too. That was, of course, I didn't, I didn't come at it. I don't think I came at any book particularly thinking, I won't like this one. The best. <laughs> I'm always kind of like a blank slate in my brain. It was more like I just I, I was maybe less excited about that book than some others. Let's that's probably a better way to say it. Like well, and so was our guest, which blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Deb, Deb was Donner. like she picked the book because she wanted to kind of tear it apart. She you know she had a fascinating background Mm -hmm. um experience leaving a cult Mm -hmm. and thought that this you know would relate to that and and she was won over by father brown as well she was that was incredible yeah she she had expected to really sort of i don't know get you know rip into the text a little bit and really have some strong opinions and so that's i i guess i I, it's it's an example of how skillfully G.K. Chesterton wrote this character and these stories that those of us who thought, I'm not into this at all, were completely won over. And Sarah, you came in with an open mind, but like me, you're, you still reflect back on some of these stories and like, oh, yeah. yeah. He was my he was my favorite mm-hmm. for sure. I, and I loved all the books, mm-hmm. but he was probably my favorite. It's Father Brown has levels, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of mysteries do, and a lot of them, I think, are at the level of fine literature. But Father yeah. Brown goes, it goes deep. It gets into your brain. Mm-hmm. It it discusses sort of spirituality mm-hmm. in ways, you know. I don't even know how to describe it, you know. And I have a I have a religious background, which comes up mm-hmm. uh, with some frequency on the show. Yeah. But uh, I had never really heard of G.K. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Chesterton. It's also a hard name to say. Chesterton. You just want to call it Chesterson. Yeah. I do. Yeah. That's not what you'd be wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I, 
I had not heard of him before, but I feel like since reading the book, mm -hmm. I'm noticing his name come up all over the place. Yeah. I see quotes by G.K. Chesterton all of the time yeah. now for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. So I, I really want to get into more of his books, although I don't know if I'll have time in 2024. Yeah, we've we've got a lot on the slate. When mm -hmm. you listen to The Perspective, you'll see that. And also, if you visit our website, we, of course, list the 2023 books that we read. But as as well, we list the 2024 books that are coming up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I out of the gate thought of the books I was not familiar with, which are several of them, I had read several of them. And you know, maybe I'd read a quarter of them and then the others were new to me. Of the ones I hadn't read, I was least excited going in about Father Brown, Innocence of Father Brown, and most excited about Trent's Last Case. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it is funny because I came away most conflicted about Trent's Last Case. Yeah. Of all of the books yeah. from last year. I remember you, you were less of a fan of that one. Although, to me, what I liked about Trent, hmm. and it's... It's not always obvious to me when we read a book, like, why is this one on the list? Like, how is it developing the genre? Mm -hmm. But with Trent, I really felt like I could see it. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, this feels really different. This feels like a step in the direction of a modern detective. So what about it felt that way to you? You know, um, just the way he did his detecting mm -hmm. was different. Um, you know, and by design, the author did not make him mm -hmm. one of these savant mm -hmm. guys putting it all together. In the end, he's, he's got all the clues and he turns out to be completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it kind of employs modern methods. Mm -hmm. it, it was a, just, just a really different detecting style, a mm -hmm. different internal monologue. You know, you didn't have the adoring partner yeah. writing it all down. It was like his own yeah. head. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there were several steps that I felt like there's a romance in it. So I mean, <laughs> kind of. he felt like there was a romance. I don't know. I think we felt like it wasn't as strong a romance as it, it could was. Be. It was to me a very odd romance. Um, <laughs> he was in love with who he thought the murderer was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, E.C. Bentley is the author, and he wrote the book with G.K. Chesterton's encouragement. Bentley did not. You know, he was not into Sherlock Holmes. He wanted to satirize the genre by having his hero not solve the crime. Agatha Christie called it one of the three best detective stories ever written. G.K. Chesterton said it was the finest detective story of modern times. Dorothy Sayers said it holds a very special place in the history of detective fiction, a tale of unusual brilliance and charm, startlingly original. I came in thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for this book. And then I read the book and I was just mind blown. I just, I did not understand where all of this praise came from. Well, and I, I do, I do love the concept, mm -hmm. um, just philosophically, mm -hmm. that you can have every single clue mm -hmm. down to the fingerprints and where they were. Mm -hmm. And when you put it together, which is always kind of the moment mm -hmm. in every mystery, the way the detective is putting it together in mm -hmm. different ways, whether he's gathering everyone in a room or just kind of talking with one person, when he puts it together, it, it all like, falls into place. Yeah. And with this one, he was just totally wrong. And that mm -hmm. was, it probably still is a pretty unique concept. We don't read a lot. Right. 
of which is which is why they're wrong his last case (laughs) yeah yeah he's like well here we go i guess i'm not suited for this which is also his first case we read about (laughs) yeah so it it's it's his first case as as bentley is writing but it's also titled trent's last case but and i think another frustrating thing for me is that um I don't think a reader could have figured out what happened in the book. So what we're going to see in Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers and and others of this period is that they're putting things on the page that the reader, if the reader reads and interprets in just the right way, the reader can ostensibly solve the crime. That's true, but that was kind of a development. Sure. As we were reading this year, I couldn't have solved any of father brown's Mm -mm. or lady molly's Mm -mm. to step back even further right you know you just couldn't solve most of them (laughs) that you just had to know um and so this one wasn't there yet in terms of i think solvability Mm -hmm. yeah although i did i did have a gut feeling that the person who did it might have done it just because there weren't that many characters in the book you just ran out of ran out of people. I was like it must be this guy who's totally unsuspecting and drinks milk and soda. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. And even so, Agatha Christie's um, "The Mysterious Affair at Styles" was our fourth book, and even in that book, arguably, you can't easily figure out who the killer is. So right, right. it's it's her first book, and it's her first Hercule Poirot, and so she's gonna from there start putting on the page. The sort of things we're going to see in the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Yeah, I think that's probably, you put the finger on maybe one of the most interesting developments mm-hmm. in the books we read in 2023 is that it, it went from being unnecessary uh-huh. for the reader to solve it to being like one of the tenets yeah. of mystery writing that the reader ought to be able to solve it. Yes. But you had um, you had some runners up to Father Brown. Who did you pick as your next most interesting picks? Oh, that is a great, great question. Um, I I would say uh, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd because it's just entertaining. I mean, I've read it several times and it's just entertaining. The Maltese Falcon, I really enjoyed. The 39 Steps is a great, great adventure story through Scotland on trains and, you know, just, you know, fun. And I really liked... The Nine Tailors. It's super heady and it's like it makes you work for it. But I felt the rewards were immense. And so I'm glad I stuck. I was going to stick with it no matter what because it was our book club pick. <laughs> of course, you have to. But, read. Uh, you know, like, oh, I decided to skip this month. You know, <laughs> I'll um, just talk to myself here. Yeah, or I'll just talk about what I think the book might be about because, <laughs> no, I, you know, the, the the nine tailors is to me very odd you go 80 or so pages and there's no murder there's no crime it's not structured in a common way where you would have a stable context a destabilizing condition something that shakes up the world and makes it different and then the story proceeds from there it's the hugest longest stable context i've seen in a really long while and at the time when I was reading it, I was, you know, wondering to myself, how is it possible she is doing this? And then by the time I got to the end of the book, I was like, oh, good job, Dorothy Sayer. So, I mean, obviously a writer of extreme talent that as I'm questioning along the way, she still wins me over. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting aspect that that you kind of came with. The Nine mm-hmm. Tailors made my list too, um, as did the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. For I picked two runners up. Mm-hmm. Um, the Maltese Falcon again was one like when we got to it, yeah. it felt like such a left turn, such a slap in the face. It was so different from kind of these savant detectives <laughs> or these like little British breakfast eating people. <laughs> yes. I think you called it, what'd you call it? Cozy? Cozy mysteries. Co- yeah. Is that a subgenre? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that's the way I think of it. And this may not be the traditional way, but you know, you're, you have a cup of tea and the fire is raging and you're reading your book. They're cozy. Yeah. Yeah. They did feel cozy, but Hammett, not so much. It's, it was terse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a page turner. It is seedy. Mm-hmm. The women were a huge departure yeah. from kind of like these tender, gentle, you get the occasional bad seed, but we don't know too much about them. Yeah. To these leading ladies that were complete psychopaths. Um, so t- tell me, that some, this is Maltese Falcon for sure, yeah. like a great runner up for one of the best books from last year. But Red Harvest, we read the month prior to Maltese Falcon. And if there was ever sort of an entry point to the Maltese Falcon, it's (laughs) Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest. Yeah. So, like, talk about, like, when you first read Red Harvest. Yeah, then, and that one's a funny contrast to me Mm -hmm. to what you were saying about Sayers. Mm -hmm. You know, you you get so far into Sayers before you know what the mystery is. Mm -hmm. Well, Red Harvest is the opposite. You solved the mystery in the first 30 pages. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh, a bloodbath. The town gets <laughs> obliterated. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 yeah and it's uh, after the first bit, I was like, well, what? The mystery almost becomes mm-hmm. did the continental op kill the lady? <laughs> and he's trying to figure out if he killed. So there's kind of. Yeah. There's a couple of mysteries. Yeah. Did I kill Dinah? I don't think I did, but let me prove it. (laughs) Yeah. So after he just solves, you know, the mystery that starts the book, there's this other trail we follow through with that. So that was, I mean, in so many ways different. Outside of a war novel, it was the bloodiest book I've read in a really long time. Yeah, it was it was a real shootout. But it's a page turner. I mean, I, I was hooked. And just shocked as well, because, you know, we came from the murder of Roger Ackroyd to (laughs) Red Harvest. We're growing um, vegetable marrows. (laughs) Flinging them over fences because the growing's not happening the way we like. Finicky mustaches. Yeah. To just like jumping in cars, machine gunning people, blowing up Mm -hmm. liquor storage Mm -hmm. (laughs) facilities. Yeah, sleeping in the woods. It was wild. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one, the Nine Tailors totally different reasons mm-hmm. and and you touched on this as well like Sayers goes so deep mm-hmm. into just a just a number yeah of what i would now call archaic cultural aspects mm-hmm. you know and in in the sci-fi world when someone's doing just an adept job at at creating this unknown place and giving it all the details, you know, their world building. And it felt a lot like world building, but it wasn't fictional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were they were real things. They're historical things. And she's the fact that she used the bottling of bass beer mm-hmm. as a whole plot point. Yeah. Or like 
methods of crypt- cryptography, mm-hmm. let alone the whole chain ringing thing. Like it was just, right. it was fascinating. So to nine me. tailors make the man, and so when a man dies in a small village, you might ring the bell nine times, which signifies that a man has died. Six rings for a woman and three for a child. And then you would pause some period of time, say 30 seconds, and then you would ring out the age of the individual who died. And between knowing the sex of and the age of the individual, you would probably in a small village have a good sense of who it was who had passed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I le- I mean, that, that's one of the things with Dorothy Sayers is you come away learning a lot. So it's entertaining. It's an entertaining read. Uh, but it's also weirdly educational. It's yeah. like probably actually more than any of the other books from my perspective that we read last year. Dorothy Sayers with Whose Body, which we read, and then The Nine Tailors. I just felt like I'm like I'm learning and loving the journey. Yeah, I went so far as to look up the uh, like National Association of Change Ringers uh-huh. <laughs> to see if there was a Denver chapter. Yeah, there, there's not. Yeah, um, but the website is in the show notes if you mm-hmm. want to go back to the episode mm-hmm. and check out some of these fascinating and obscure yeah. elements. Yeah, um, Malice Aforethought, your husband Nate Harrison was our guest. He was, which was interesting because mm-hmm. it was sort of a book about a, a dark marriage. I would say. <laughs> And it was very, you were very in the character's head. Mm-hmm. With that, so that was kind of a, you know, obviously we've seen some internal dialogue as yeah. we've been reading, but I felt like that one went the deepest psychologically into the character's thoughts. Yeah. And so this wasn't a who done it. It was more like a how and why done it. How done it, why done right. it. Right. It starts at the beginning telling you. Yeah. On page one. So it. we're not spoiling anything. <laughs> To say that we know who's going to die right out of the gate. And you're left asking the question, what's going on? Why is it? What's happening? Why is this happening? And I thought it was really well done and possibly the like the funniest book that we read. Yeah. And there was kind of an evolution of funny. I think it was funnier at the beginning. Mm, And as you got into it, you were just kind of pulled darker and Mm -hmm. darker Mm -hmm. until like whoa (laughs) and then at the end well i forget what we thought but he's he's full-on sociopath by the oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah just these grandiose Uh um delusions protagonist people in case you're wondering right this is this is the guy well and you know we have we have we we did sort of with roger Ackroyd, but like when you're in the character's head, you're not always in like the criminal's head. Yeah. Like that you're usually yeah. associated more with the detective who's figuring it out. For sure. But here we were with the the murderer figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, certainly the first half of the book had just a lot of places where I either marked in the, you know, little smiley face in the margins, which is, you know, what yes. I do. Yes. Or I just, I laughed out loud. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Michael is, is is sitting across the room from me watching and I'm just reading laughing out loud <laughs> while I'm while I'm well and that's one too where my allegiances really changed mm-hmm. like I did start out kind of 
feeling for the protagonist a little mm-hmm. bit, the sort mm-hmm. of downtrodden, doormatish guy that he was. For sure. And by the end, I was like, his wife is awesome. Oh, mm-hmm. what a shame. <laughs> Yeah. I would hang out with her. I thought she was kind of cool. Did not <laughs> like her in the beginning of the book. And you feel for him right. right out of the, you know, right right in chapter one. And then something flips after a while because you're a little too in this guy's head. And you're like, well, this guy is not right. Right. You start out because you're, you're hearing his thoughts. And yeah. so you kind of naturally take his perspective. But as you get in, you just can't keep with it. Yes. <laughs> his perspective's too demented. Mm-hmm. Um, we read Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. The, the the first Perry Mason, the case of the Velvet Claws. Um, really interesting. He's not in a courtroom in this book. No, and I thought, I guess, you know, I grew up with a TV show, and I just always imagined he was in courtrooms. Yeah. But he, he didn't. He and really he, acted more like a detective with a weird moral code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super weird. He he believed, and... This, this actually makes sense to me that everybody should have the best possible representation that they can have. Guilty, innocent, whatever, you should have a representation that is as if you had the skill and wherewithal mm-hmm. to, to represent yourself. You should have a commensurate sort of level of representation in your attorney. And so when somebody hired him, he represented that individual and... Um, yeah, even when they tried to throw him under the bus. Yeah, when they tried to make him look like the murderer, that that sort of thing. He's, well, that's my client. Yeah, even when he got them arrested, uh-huh. it was only to serve their best interest. Yeah, this is, this is probably one of my favorite series of book covers, because mm. on many of them, you have the femme fatale on the cover, you have, there's one version with a claw, and the woman's like, right. Man, it was a se- like a severed hand. I thought it was a book about a severed hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, we are uh, obsessed with book covers here at, at Teetonic and Toxin. Yeah, vintage, vintage artwork, vintage and illustrations. if you visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Teetonic and Toxin, you'll see tons of these book covers on on the pages and we we love them, we collect them, we look for them. When you share them, we're thrilled. And um, I I loved the Velvet Claws covers for sure. Um, yeah, I ranked Velvet Claws <clears throat> the most frustrating mm. in the series of the most questions. Okay, and I feel like even though I get Perry Mason's perspective, and I do believe that mm-hmm. you know, it's in the terms of the American legal system, mm-hmm. I was definitely feeling the Della Street side of frustration and kind of this like, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. (laughs) your client is trying to get you arrested. What are you doing? What Mm -hmm. is happening? Mm -hmm. So that's that's probably why I ranked it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved, so Della Street reminds me of Effie Perrine from (laughs) the Maltese Falcon, who I loved. I loved her character. I loved the different ways we saw the ending of the Maltese Falcon in our conversation. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of different views. Mike Nugent. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. But I like Effie Perrine a lot. Um, Yeah, so frustrating for me. You know, Trent's going to get a lot of those votes (laughs) for me. Now, just to be clear, I'm super glad I read it. I think it is 
is key to the evolution of this form. And that whole anti Sherlock Holmes thing. Now, so Sherlock Holmes is a name dropped in almost every book yes. we've read. So to have somebody who's sort of the anti Sherlock Holmes, not into that whole like, ah, I found some cigarette ash and a footprint outside that is perfectly maintained because of the weather. And, you know, he's he's Trent is coming up with all of these clues and doing a lot of the same legwork Sherlock Holmes does, but he comes up with the complete wrong answer. And it's sort of a tongue in cheek, you know, sort of a, you know, tip the hat kind of thing. And I think it's an important book. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> I still am working on my, my take on Trent's last case, I think. Well, that's the, that's the sign of something if you're still thinking about the book. So here's another one um, that threw us is the murder, uh, murder on the Orient Express. And, you know, I've read this book several times. There are movie and television versions, television version um, with David Suchet. There is, of course, Ken course, Kenneth Branagh's version of Murder on the Orient Express and several others. There's one from the 70s that is amazing. Um, I, in some ways, like the 1970s Murder on the Orient Express film. This is so weird to say, better than the book. I know. We we kicked Carolyn off yeah, for it was, yeah. a moment based on that comment. Um, but then so many of you guys, you're interested in actually hearing more about the film versions. And that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think this period was mm-hmm. not just important to literary mysteries and that development, but yeah. so many movies are still being inspired. You know, yeah. you mentioned Kenneth Branagh still making a lot of... I just watched the... Uh, House of Usher series, oh, yeah. you know, and like so much different Poe woven together in these interesting ways. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a Sam Spade series coming up yeah. that we're pretty excited about. AMC. It's going to be on AMC. It's called Monsieur Spade. I believe it's set in France. And uh, starting in January 2024, which is cool. Yeah. So it's, you know... We do. We've heard from you guys. You want to hear more about kind of the the film side mm-hmm. of the books, mm-hmm. and so we're gonna we're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just sort of a fun other entry point in into these stories. And you know, as we are seeing with twenty twenty four, our first book is The Thin Man, and we've watched the nineteen thirty four version of The Thin Man with William Powell and Myrna Loy. The film version can have quite a few divergences from the book. Oh, yeah, it was, like, so wild. The, mm-hmm. the way they handled certain things is just fascinating to think about. And and we had a fascinating guest for that one. So look up the Thin Man episodes. Yeah. Watch the movie. Yeah. Read the book. Dashiell Hammett's granddaughter, Julie Rivette, is our guest on two episodes, our first two episodes of 2024. Um, but, you know, even the Maltese Falcon, right? The book and the 1940s movie starring Humphrey Bogart, I believe they end very differently. Yeah, it was so interesting mm-hmm. that Julie did not like the, yeah. the film version of that, even though mm-hmm. so many people love it. Yeah. That, yeah. It was really, really interesting speaking with her mm-hmm. from her perspective deep into Hammett. 
But there are uh, television and film versions of many of the books that we've read, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. David Suchet does a great job with that story. Um, we have, I have not, I think you have not either seen any of the Lord Peter Whimsey series. I haven't. Um, Perry Mason, I did watch The Case of the Velvet Claws, and um, I have opinions. Um and Father Brown has a series that I thought was really odd because the short stories in The Innocence of Father Brown, they're all encapsulated, right? So they're standalone. You could read it as, you know, chapters in a book if you like, but you could dip into one and they're short. And the one episode I watched was completely different than the, the story itself on the page. And I thought... <laughs> Okay, but G.K. Chesterton did such a great job. Why would you make these changes? And so then that gets into conversations that Sarah and I find really interesting. What is prompting the divergences that are happening on screen? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it has to do with time. And sometimes it has to do with, as we talk about the thin man, you know, maybe there are restrictions on what you can show and have on the screen and, and so forth. Um. But yeah, I think it's interesting. We're going to definitely do more of that in 2024. Um, So Sarah, from your perspective in 2023, what what takeaways do you have now that we've wrapped up this year? I feel like my biggest takeaway was a massive amount of respect for all of of these writers. Mm -hmm. You know, being a creator, it's... You know, we think about people on social media and we call mm-hmm. them creators. Mm-hmm. You know, we're podcast creators. Well, yeah. are, are, are really a bit more, at least ourselves, more of commentators on, on people where you have these creators who are bringing something from nothing. Yeah. You know, this yeah. something hasn't existed in a genre and they think of a way to do it that, you know, while everyone has their inspiration and their ties to the mm-hmm. past... They're also making something new. Mm-hmm. As even books that maybe aren't my favorite, mm-hmm. I just have a massive amount of respect for what they were creating and how they were moving things forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I try and I try and use that lens mm-hmm. when I when I'm reading any of these books. How about you, Carolyn? What were your biggest takeaways? Well, you know, you you had me thinking there, but words that I get annoyed by sometimes are. Uh, creative, creator, and influencer. These, <laughs> these, you know, when they're applied just with this broad brush to... So like the bunch of Instagram I'm a, I'm a creative. I'm a creator. I'm an influencer. I've had at parties and other places people in, introduce themselves to me as an influencer and all I want to do is interview the heck out of them because I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy town. Let's talk. Like, tell me all about your job as an influencer. Uh, but... But yeah, I I feel like 2023 for me was a huge learning experience. I loved um, watching the progression of this mystery form from 2011 to 20, uh, 2011, 1911 to 1934. <laughs> I've jumped 100 years, folks. And actually, I'm in the future. It's January. Nobody knows what year it is for a while. Okay. Well, from, from 1911 to 1934. Um and I, I come away with the same sort of respect and 
seeing how these authors are influencing each other. You know, Perry Mason, the case of the Velvet Claws probably could not have been written without the Maltese Falcon ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. That that sort of thing. You see how influential Agatha Christie is. You see how interesting Dorothy Sayers is and how um, passionate she is on certain subjects and does just this incredible deep dive. Um, I... I loved all of that. I loved expanding with guests and having these other voices. In in 2024, one of the things I want to do more is learn the half of the podcast that I don't currently focus on, (laughs) which is the technology. So, um, you know, Sarah and I were talking about this. We went to this party Mm. by the Rocky Mountain Mystery Writers of America. And it was just, this was in December. It was a holiday party. And they're doing... They have a stage set up and they have microphones and so forth. And it's um, a radio show. And that's the the play that is going to be performed on the stage. And um, I say to Sarah, you know, are they are they podcasting? <laughs> I think first you asked if they were on the radio. Oh, I said, oh, are they? Are they, on the, <laughs> they oh, I was like, no. I said, like, is it a real radio show? And Sarah said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, are they, are they podcasting? And Sarah's like, no, so patient and kind. No. Well, they, they, I mean, they did their, they did their homework. They had an on air mm-hmm. sign. They yeah. had lights. They had a sound effects man who I loved like doing all like the boot stomps over on the right. No, it's, it's cool. And in 2024, I hope to find out what a podcast is. <laughs> so I think that will be really helpful in our third year. Um, but, you know, all, all like joking aside, I want to learn the tech side of what we're doing. So, and Sarah, I think you want to like cross over a little bit with yeah, what, the stuff I, I do. I think we both want to kind of uh, cross train. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to use White Castle terms. Mm-hmm. White Castle was my first job ever. Um, and at White Castle, you have to learn every single skill. Oh. So that everyone is interchangeable. And it makes them very efficient. I would have never thought that this was a White Castle. Everything comes back to White Castle. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I can talk about White Castle for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what that is. Please go to the Midwest. Yeah. Get you some. Yeah. If you want to get a burger, you end up ordering like 10 of them. If you want it's a weird. tiny, tiny burger, yeah. ask for extra pickles. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, people order them by the case, is really the only thing I remember about. You do, yeah. If, especially if you uh, and now are I'll, high. And now I'll, now <laughs> I'll remember that they're exceptional at cross training yes and that's the little known side of white castle folks Mm -hmm. but uh yeah we definitely want to i think and in that way kind of get a little bit more unified in our roles and our approach Mm -hmm. and um kind of be able to interchange a little bit so that's going to be exciting and fun yeah i think another thing that i learned and that i'm still working through grappling with is i'm you and I could quit our day jobs if we wanted to and just do Tetonic and Toxin, and we would still not have enough time to do everything we want to do. Right, right. To be clear, we we could if we didn't need any money. So. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, you know, as, as we, as Sarah and I have discussed, I would be living in a tent in her backyard. Right. But um, I'd also have all my podcasting stuff set up back there, <laughs> and I would know the technology by that point, so it would all be good. Right. There's so much, there's so many things we'd like to do and explore. So that's why each year we have to be kind of choosy mm-hmm. and not to be like, let's do everything. Right. And, right. and do the things that 
you know we need to do mm-hmm. in a given year mm-hmm. and this this year we're working on things like audio quality we're working on having some more new and exciting guests mm-hmm. for the books and for for new fiction yeah. So I think that'll be a really fun addition to what we've been growing. We've made it really easy on our website to purchase the books that we are reading mm-hmm. from 2022, mm-hmm. 2023, and now 2024. Uh, we have links to Amazon.com. You pay nothing extra to use these links, but we get a small uh, commission for each of those sales. I loved um, I loved this little thought-provoking question, this little meditation that you have here. What have you learned about yourself mm-hmm. doing this podcast in the last year? Mm-hmm. You said you learned you could spend 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing that I've learned is this is hard work, this podcast, and keeping up with the books and keeping up with the interviewees and the guests and the preparing ahead of time. If you don't love this work, it's just going to fall apart. You could see why a lot of podcasts last a year. Yeah. And by love this work, I don't think of loving to figure out how Mm -hmm. to get the audio set up (laughs) for like a hybrid interview. Mm -hmm. So much as loving the conversations and loving the books. But loving the conversations and the books so much that you're going to work through how to get that Definitely. So that's the same for me is um, I feel like what we're doing is important enough and valuable enough to myself, to you, to our listeners and to readers in our book club that... I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to find the time to do this. I'm, and so if you, if you don't, if you're not committed, this whole thing falls apart. And you could see easily how it could. And I'm very grateful that you and I have stuck with this and that we have like put our heads together and figured stuff out. And, um, you know, we, we put in we put in the, the hard work. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the, the loving has to kind of be the north star mm-hmm. for what we do, what we do next, how we want to grow. Yeah. It has to keep us loving the conversations that mm-hmm. we're having. Yeah. So then it's that it's fun. Yeah. And so anything else you've learned about yourself? About myself. Um well, along those same lines, it's it's been unique and different when when we have guests on. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have our banter and then it's it's great to kind of adapt, to sit back, to pause, to listen, you know, to what, what they're bringing to it. Um, and just there's so many ideas to try. It just blows up my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things I'd like to try. Mm-hmm. I'm always a person that I like, calm it down. There's not that much time, Sarah. <laughs> put, it in, put it in priority order. I've got a long list as well. And, you know, if you just stare at the list, you would, you know, just close your computer and, and give up. So you've got to start organizing the stuff and figure you know, I have had to and um, really just focus. And so I think that's what we're doing each year is we're picking a handful of things that we want to try out that are maybe a little bit different and new this year, and really like wrap our brains around it. And then, you know, keep getting bigger and better. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you guys have told us some of the things that you'd like to hear or see about, which Mm -hmm. is more about the the movie aspects that have been inspired there's a poll 
on Spotify right now asking for feedback on what you would like to see. Nice. So if you get a chance, if that's your platform, go on there and give us your opinion on what you'd like to see more of. Or, you know, write us on the website, the Facebook, the Instagram. <laughs> so lots of ways you can talk to us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Sarah, this has been uh, a great year. I'm looking forward to 2024 and 12 awesome books ranging from 1934 to 1939. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting with a thin man, guys. Mm -hmm. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Please check us out at tetonicandtoxin.com. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Tetonic and Toxin. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. We're on all the platforms. Yeah. And please stay mysterious. <laughs> <laughs>